missio. Today the scripture reading is in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in the holiness and the righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Thanks, Julie, from afar, giving us our scripture reading. My name is Heather, and I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't met before. It's nice to see you, either in person or not see you, but on the camera, in your home. Um, Today I wore my jacket because I decided I needed to be a little bit British. (laughs) My rock in the British look today. So it was especially important because... um, I was thinking about, as an English person, there's a lot of things that are like culturally similar between America and England. And um, sometimes when I'm talking, there's an assumption that what I'm saying, everybody knows like what I mean by the words that I'm using. Haley Burke is someone that often points out that I use a random word that nobody has any idea what it means, but I'm just like carrying on with my sentence. But one of those words is that kind of correlates, would be the word pie. There's been lots of talk of pie of late. Yeah? So when, when you hear me use the word pie, what do you think of? Little shout out, anyone? What kind of pie? Pecan pie. Any other favorite pies in the house today? Pies? What kind of pie? Pumpkin pie and peach pie? Love it. But I have to say that um, as a British person, none of those things come to my mind when I think of pie. Do you know what comes to mind? Meat and potato pie. Yes! Don't groan. Don't give me a groan. Or leek and cheese pie. Yeah, have you had a leek and cheese? Probably not. But the the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, you hear these words and you make an association about what those words mean and attach meaning to it based on your own cultural experience and then, like, we're carrying on and it's actually something completely different. And I think that happens in the Bible, too. That we hear words and we think we know what they mean. And I think it's maybe most especially true around the Christmas story 
that there's these things that we've heard about the Christmas story, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, and you think, oh yeah, I kind of have the gist of this, like we do it every year, Jesus, baby, manger, good things, you know? And we have this association that we know what it means, especially for those of us maybe who grew up with it. It's like, all right, got it. But what I want us to do this morning is just like stop and pause. Do we really get it? Do we really get what this story is inviting us into? And today as we look at this passage that Julie read, I want you to be a little curious about it. As we look and read it together. She read these words from Luke chapter 1 from a man called Zacharias. And Zacharias, um, we get a lot of the context of where these words come from, from the beginning of Luke. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 to 23 kind of gives us the story of Zacharias. Zachariah, not Zacharias. He's a priest, which means that he has a job to do, and he does this job in the temple, and there's lots of things to do in the temple. And at this time, in this moment, he's lighting incense. It's this picture of prayer that goes up in the temple before God consistently. And his wife is Elizabeth, and she's also from a really prominent, important priestly line of Aaron. And they're not able to have children, they're both old. And usually in the Bible, when there's two older people about to have a baby, it's a little, like, picture that God is about to do something. God's about to do something pretty monumental, usually is what that means. And Elizabeth and Mary, who we talked about last week, Mary, the mother of Jesus, they're cousins. And Elizabeth has a son before Mary has Jesus, And the son that she has is John, John the baptizer. And Zechariah's words are spoken as John is born. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for the words of this text and we pray that as we do look at it, that we would be curious. Curious about what these words are pointing us to. So Spirit, would you settle us in today? Awake us to the knowledge of your goodness as we spend time together this morning. Your name, amen. So as you look at that passage, Jesus comes and there's an intention for Jesus coming and it says he's coming to redeem the the world. He's coming to redeem and the word that's used most often here is salvation or save. And we have a common understanding of that word, right? As modern Western Christian mind frame, there's, a, there's an association that comes with save and salvation. And typically, when we think of that word, we think about a relationship that people have 
that is broken with God and that relationship needs restoring and that salvation happens primarily between an individual and God. And that means that somebody is saved. That's kind of the framework of Western Christian um, culture that tells us what salvation and saving is. But when we look at this passage, that's not really quite how the story goes. There's lots of other textual cues here that is telling us that the story is maybe a bit larger and bigger than that. In this passage, we get um, Zechariah talking about David and prophets and family line and oaths with Abraham. And also in this these words, he's quoting a lot of Old Testament scripture. So he references Psalm 149 and Malachi and Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah chapter 9. And so there's like so much going on in this moment. And Zechariah's words are not just replaying moments in Israel's history. They're showing us that the birth of Jesus is bringing the whole story of the Old Testament to this grand moment. And we love this like intimate portrait of Jesus and a baby in a manger. But Advent is also about the restoration of God's presence to the whole world. That's the true nature of salvation. And it's like Johnny said last week, it's about hearts, but it's also about systems. God is both healing us and the world. God is restoring us and creation. God is adopting us and he's establishing this new world. And so we have to have a knowledge of what Zechariah is talking about to understand this kind of salvation. This wholesale rescue that God is about. And so Genesis is kind of the origin or the beginnings of things. And the beginning of the story, and it is about being in relation to God, but it's more than that. God creates a good world. And in that world, he shares that world with us, and he asks us to rule. Basically, he gives us a job description. Hey, yo, people, let's be about this together. God creates and does good things. And God wants to partner with us to do good things. And so we have this job in partnership with God to produce goodness in the world. And we don't get too far into the story, but we see that kind of humans surrender the opportunity to do that job in a way that creates life. And instead, move into independence. And in that independence, things begin to spiral out of control. Humans are like enemies with God and enemies with each other rather than partners. And the shadow of death appears. Darkness creeps in and starts to take over. And that's, we are, we've only just got to chapter 11. We haven't even got that far into the story. So let me get to chapter 12 and then we see like, Zechariah is talking about there's an oath, there's a promise that's made to a man called Abraham, chapter 12. And so then comes this focus on one man and his family. God is going to restore goodness in that way. 
through this family. There's a new blessing like in the garden. The family is given goodness, experiences goodness, and then with God is asked to share that goodness, right? It's going to be blessed you and all the families of the earth. Again, it's this moment, partner with me, to share goodness in the world. But, spoiler alert, big bummer, this family surrenders the opportunity as well. Mimics that earlier surrender. And even when God presses deeper towards humans, they still find ways to twist things and believe that God is holding out on them. And so it becomes about survival. Like mine, I'm going to be about my business and my people and self-protection and my group and kind of enemies with each other and enemies with God rather than partners. And then this disrespectful, um, destructive actions start happening and the shadow moves deeper. The darkness gets thicker. And that's not hard for us to relate to. We have our own shadows that we contend with. Our own darknesses and hostilities that we engage with maybe every single day. At work, or even in your own family. We contend at the moment with political volatility, with COVID. The darkness is deep. Racial inequity. I bet you can name some things in your own heart. Things that you contend with. This darkness is constantly lurking. But salt and peppered throughout that story are the words of the prophets also that Zechariah says about how God won't give up on this partnership or the goal to bring goodness through humans. And there's lots of waiting in the Bible for God to bring help. And God comes. God comes in the garden. God comes in Egypt. God comes when Israel are in exile. God comes when they're waiting the Bible is full of chaos and then waiting for God to come and help. And God goes through great lengths with humans to bring peace and partnership, great lengths. And this here, this moment of Advent, is a moment where God begins to show the kinds of lengths he is willing to go to to bring partnership and peace so that this goodness can continue to flow out in the world that he's created. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John goes ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. No matter how hostile we become, All is not lost because all is forgivable. That's the message that John brings prior to Jesus' arrival. 
No matter what hostility comes, all is forgivable. Why? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. That's why. Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. God comes. God always comes. And Jesus' coming brings the dawn of a new day. It's like the rising sun, it says here. It's the rising sun to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And who is that? That's all of us. That's people past, people present, and people future. The rising sun to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. We get this intimate portrait of a baby But Advent is about the restoration of God's presence to the entire world. That's salvation. That is what God is up to. God is going to restore goodness here and it is born into the world in Jesus most profoundly. And the birth of Jesus is like a new beginning. Right? This new day has, has dawned, but we've called our se- series Mid-Morning. The day isn't completed. The day is just dawned. And it's the grand moment of one part of the story, but it's the beginning of another part of the story. And so Advent marks the beginning, but it also marks Waiting. Because God is on a long-term plan. And that's what this whole story teaches us. The story teaches us that God is patient. And the story also teaches us that we're invited to participate in this long-term plan. That there's a job that we need to do in the waiting And this new day is dawned and God will bring ultimate healing and restoration, but we're in that liminal in-between space. And in the meantime, that story teaches us that God is patient, but it also teaches us that we have a job to do in the waiting. So we have to be careful not to sabotage ourselves out of short-term weariness or distractions or appetites. And while this day is dawned, we can be thankful that we have a guide in the waiting, verse 78, to guide our our feet into the path of peace. I was reading about this sermon this week, and I got struck by, by words by this man called David Garland. One of the unexpected ways of saving people from their enemies is to turn enemies into friends. One of the unexpected ways of saving people from their enemies is to turn enemies into friends. Missio, that's what God always does. That's who God is. 
It's what God always does. Turns enemies into friends. I was telling um, the house church leaders this um, month about my newfound knowledge of Fred Rogers. You're probably all familiar with Mr. Rogers. Epic human. Um, And as I was watching these different things about Fred Rogers, the thing that struck me the most is that he always sought to befriend people. People who were at animosity towards each other, he wanted to help them to be friends with one another. People that showed animosity towards him, he wanted to help them understand that he had great love and grace for them. He basically like was the the friend. <laughs> like, and I, I realize not growing up here, like everybody knows who Fred Rogers is, and everyone thinks like Fred Rogers. of the neighborhood. Minister, Fred Rogers was a minister and he used the medium of TV to guide people down the path of peace. It's beautiful. There's another man that always inspires me called Greg Boyle. I've talked about him often in here. He works in LA with gangs and he helps people come together who have made enemies of of each other and he uses the medium of work and dignity to guide people down the path of peace. We need a bit more of that right now in the world, Missio. In the midst of political upheaval and different opinions about COVID and uncertainty and isolation and there's lots of hostility and there's a darkness that feels like it has the capacity to take over sometimes we have a job to do it's to allow ourselves to be guided down the path of peace I was texting with um, Julie who read our scripture today and she's one of our advisors on the leadership team and she said um, that she texted me this week her hope for us as a community. She said that she hopes that we can honor and respect the people who have different convictions and views than we do. She hopes that we could come up with creative solutions and activate on them in a world of hostility. She said that she hopes that we'd be able to trust God and relax that he is in the sickness and in the oppression and the risk of what it means to make friends of enemies. We come to not the table, but we come to this little cup with a wafer or whatever you have at home. And this reminds us every week who we are. We are friends with God. It's what this reminds us of, that we are friends with God. Because of the tender mercy displayed to us in Christ. Maybe you don't really know God or you're feeling a bit hostile towards God, but maybe today you want to tell him that you want to be friends. 
You can do that as you drink this cup. Or maybe there's somebody you have in mind that you know you aren't feeling friendly feelings towards. You can pray this morning as you take this cup that God would endow you with love and grace for that human. That he would walk you down the path of peace. Advent is about waiting and expectation, but it is active waiting. That we cultivate friendship along the way with God and with each other. As we're guided down the path of peace with the expectation that we know the end of the story, right? We have this beginning peace that we rehearse and then we get Jesus kind of is born into this new day and then we wait in expectation for the completion of what this moment means. And that means that Jesus will restore goodness to the earth. And in the meantime, Jesus continues to heal and to restore and to renew and he does that by participating with us to do that here and now as we are guided down the path of peace. And so we're waiting too. We're waiting like Mary and like Zachariah and Elizabeth. We have a job to do in that waiting, empowered by the Spirit to bring goodness on earth as it is in heaven. And even if the waiting feels long, Missio, he'll come. God always comes. So as you take this cup, you can open it if you haven't already. Take your wafer, you dip. Open up your wine, or your juice, I mean. And remember that you are friends with God. Gives you the strength to be friends with one another as he guides us down this path of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't forget the grand story. And while it's grand, it's also ordinary because it's about a woman who has a baby and a couple who are older and are struggling with infertility and... It's about being friends with people who are our enemies and choosing forgiveness over hostility and revenge. And that when we do those ordinary things, we partner, when we partner with you and your spirit, we, we bring presence. And that presence brings goodness. And Israel waited for you. They waited for you to bring the consolation of your goodness into their world and we wait too in the darkness of our world waiting for you to bring that same consolation and so may we be like Mary and Zachariah and Elizabeth partnered with you guided by you down the path of peace and we know that the world is crying out for friends Thanks for people like Fred Rogers who reminds us how to do that. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make Missio friendly 
friendly to one another, friendly to this world, friendly to this city, friendly to our neighbors, friendly to the people that we work with, friendly to our family members. Why? Because of the deep, deep mercy that we have experienced, the tender mercy of our God would flow out of us daily. We pray in your name. Amen.